You're with Sean Jung and Where the Veil Grows Thin, an exploration of the sacred moments of our human experience in life and death, joy and sorrow, birth and end of life. It's the unscripted instant when the heart opens, the face-to-face moments with the divine. My experience has been, quite often, that families who are caring for a loved one with a potentially life-limiting illness usually don't want to talk about hospice care. They don't want to even hear the word. They can become angry and resentful if it's brought into a conversation too abruptly, too unskillfully, or too soon. It's understandable, but in my opinion, it's based on false understandings of who hospice is and what hospice care means and what hospice can provide a family and a patient in their time of need. Knowing when the right time is to begin the conversation doesn't have to be left up to the doctors. Families and patients can ask about hospice services at any point. And being proactive in your own care or the care of a loved one means educating yourself to all the services available so that you have a broad understanding of what is out there as the needs arise and change in your particular situation. Families and patients have the right to realistically know what to expect when there is a decision being made about bringing a loved one home to die. Whether we're talking about bringing them home from a hospital stay or bringing them home from a doctor's appointment, fear is usually present when the discussion begins. Fear of not knowing what to do to care for a loved one at home. Fear of not knowing how to adjust the physical environment to properly and lovingly care for someone at home. Fear of not being enough or not having enough. Fear of loss. If a person expresses that ideally they would like their dying to occur in their home, then it becomes our honor to try to make that happen. So helping families address their fears, adjust their thinking, and open their hearts to accommodating what their loved one wants is also honorable work. There are sometimes weeks and sometimes days leading up to active death that can be extremely taxing on caregivers. We don't want to sugarcoat the realities, but we also need to reassure families that help is usually usually just a phone call away if they have hospice on board. Those of us who have worked in hospice would love to see months between admission and death, not just weeks or days. But in our country and in our culture, most of the time, hospice stays are much shorter than you might expect. Barriers to providing great hospice care are multilayered. Sometimes it's a reluctance on the part of providers of medical care to have the difficult conversations about death. Maybe a lack of experience or training in how to help a patient understand when it's time to focus on quality and comfort and no longer on quantity of time. From my years working in a cancer center, I saw patients who, when the time came to shift the focus, either because treatments were no longer working 
or were even doing more harm than good, patients who would beg to be allowed to continue treatments. One, because maybe because they were afraid of dying, but also because they had become so attached and comfortable with that family of caregivers, the nurses who treat their cancer. They don't want to change teams at the 11th hour. It is my opinion there needs to be a much stronger relationship between those who lovingly provide curative, life-prolonging treatments and those who lovingly provide end-of-life care. In other words, a much stronger alliance between treatment centers and hospice providers. When patients are not referred to hospice until they are actively dying, there is no time for the hospice team to develop relationship. It puts hospice at such an unfair disadvantage. Having a foundational relationship built on mutual trust is a necessary piece of being able to provide meaningful, deep care at any point in someone's life, including the end of their life. The palliative care movement in this country was born partly because of the very real need for people seeking treatments or surgeries to have special care provided during that period of time. Ideally, hospitals, doctors, and cancer centers would work with hospice teams exploring and providing symptom management, resource support, family support, and grief support all the way through so that if the treatments stop working or never worked at all, or if the person receiving treatment decides the burden of treatment is too high, they don't have to let go of the providers they have come to love in order to establish care with a whole new team of strangers at the most poignant time of their life, because those providers of comfort-focused care would have already been part of their support team. When a person is not referred to hospice until they are days from death, hospice becomes, at best, crisis intervention hospice. It never seemed to me an unreasonable ask that someone from hospice be introduced onto a patient's radar at the first inkling that response to treatment might be waning or when the patient starts to talk about stopping treatment. If we could find the courage to have safe conversations about what we think we'd like our death to look like, long before we are making them under the duress of imminent death, our loved ones would be relieved of needing to try to figure it out. There are death cafes popping up all over the country, small, intimate gatherings of people who want to talk about their end-of-life stuff, people who want to figure out what things might be helpful to them should they have an expected death, and what things might be helpful to their loved ones regardless of how death occurs. Practical things like this. One of our nurses shared in a staff meeting that she had just learned the night before that her sister hates socks. She never knew. The sister wanted everyone in the family to know that when she's dying, she doesn't care how cold her feet feel. She does not want socks put on them. We really do need to talk to one another. 
I hope as more and more people find their way onto websites like this one or find themselves pulled into a death cafe by a friend or by their own curiosity, that an interest in having these conversations will grow. For those of us passionate about end of life and how we might do a better job of it in this country, we must not let the fear of a lack of interest stop us from using our voices. Sometimes I find that people are very interested in learning about and tending to someone else's death, but might not be very interested or as ready to tend to their own. Fortunately for me, and for my family, attending the deaths of so many individuals over the course of the last two decades has made it impossible for me not to think clearly about my own death and how, if given the gift of seeing it coming, what I'd like it to look like. That being said, and I am not going to share all of it with you right now, even for professional caregivers, an actively dying person can sometimes present challenges that tax both the body and the spirit of those caring for them. When a person has expressed their wish to be at home, being able to make that happen can be one of the most rewarding things you can do, a way to create comforting memories that you can carry with you for the rest of your life. In having the services of a strong, well-run hospice agency can make all the difference between feeling completely broken and blindsided by how it feels at the time of death or feeling comforted, supported, prepared, and somewhat ready at the time of death. If you or someone you care about are in the position to introduce the idea of hospice care to someone, please be brave and introduce it. It is not something to put up walls to. It's a service that, when appropriate, can make such a good difference in someone's experience at end of life, both the one having the experience of dying, as well as those who love them who are being left behind. I hope this was helpful, and I hope if it was, and you'd like to see these continue, that you might visit the link on the website where you can buy me a cup of coffee. This is Sean Jung, and I hope you'll join me again where the veil grows thin.